The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, midweek Premier League. Turn up at Anfield, as Man United failed to. A turn up at Stamford Bridge, as Arsenal and Enketia give Chelsea a night to forget you. There's Fulham up, as Cottagers conquer promotion. And will they Fulham up uh, with the women's Euro Stadium controversy? All that plus a big weekend Premier League preview and Jules v Charlie in the Intertotally semi-finals. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday, 21st of April, and hello to you, listener. Totally crew today is Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Nice. Uh, Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hello, Flo. Hello, James. And also with us, Carl Anker on heavy sedation. Carl. Ahoy, ahoy, James. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, nice to see you, you know, still smiling, Carl. Smiling for the pain. Smiling through the pain. <laughs> right. Well, you've had some practice, of course. What an extraordinary midweek! What a what a great midweek for what the f- uh, scorelines in the, in the Premier League. Man United going to Anfield and doing worse than Shrewsbury Town, as Shrewsbury Town pointed out. Uh, Arsenal going to Chelsea after three straight defeats and beating them four two. Crikey! Newcastle again. That's quite fun. <laughs> this is me trying to distract myself from. The constant. Are they your new favourite team ending with the word United? Is that what you're trying to say, Carl? No, no, not yet. Not yet. Although San Maximan Salsa dancing was spectacular. Duncan, do you have a stat on I mean I haven't asked you, you have prepared this, but if you can if you can pluck it out of your head, that'd be amazing. About midweek score lines, because I, I don't know if it's just my short term a recency bias, but it feels like we don't normally get these impressive big score lines in midweek. Normally, we get quite boring, low-scoring games. But am I completely wrong? No, you're completely right. I did a thing a few months ago. I think some people do think because they have watched midweek sports special when they were a kid or something that that midweek games do have more goals. But yeah, Wednesday and Tuesday games generally, uh, on average, have much fewer. So yeah, this was a, a rare midweek on that front as well. And- Extraordinary. Let's have a check on those extraordinary midweek results. Liverpool beating Man United 4-0 to add to their 5-0 earlier this season. And spending as a result Tuesday night on top of the table. Wednesday, though, City responding with a 3-0 win over Brighton. Meanwhile, Arsenal blowing minds nationwide by winning 4-2 at Chelsea. They'll be facing Man United next. Everton, who are next up for Liverpool in the Merseyside derby, snatching a late, late equaliser in a 1-1 draw with Leicester. And Newcastle beat Palace 1-0 for their sixth home win in a row. Burnley Saints, which might be kind of more in line with the norm in goal-scoring terms, is Thursday night. Uh, So that'll be nice. Uh, We'll start at Anfield. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Here's Salah. scoring touch back and that scoring touch in itself was absolutely delightful Liverpool 4 Man United nil first off between Man City at the weekend last weekend and and this Tuesday is this peak Liverpool we're seeing now of of Klopp's is it peak football actually uh it feels like it I think I I was just saying 
uh, on a on a, a separate pod with um, my good friend Dan Bardell that it feels like Klopp has perfected the art like an Olympic athlete does of peaking at the right time and peaking towards the end of the season. And obviously Liverpool have, have focused on that in in the background with the with the things that they've been doing off the pitch. But mentally and physically, it doesn't seem like any team can match the way that they are built now to leave the best till last. And that's why I think we may be seeing peak, peak Klopp Liverpool era because all the hard work that's come before this is now kind of really coming into fruition. Mm-hmm. So many moments to enjoy in this game. Hey, Carl. Mane's no-look reverse pass for the second goal. The entire eternity of possession before uh, Liverpool went 2-0 up. The Hendo stare on Fernandes at 3-0 when Bruno basically bottled taking him on. There was a moment in the third minute or so where Alisson had the ball and did a little Cruyff turn to completely send the Manchester United attacker who was trying to press for an ice cream. Liverpool recycled possession quite nicely, built out from the back, and the ball eventually made its way all the way over to David De Gea, who tried to build up the back, panicked, and simply hoofed it to the far left. Just couldn't make the pass. And I was watching this uh, with Ian Irvin, who... You know, another podcast in the Athletic Network, and I went, well, there you go. There's, there's the chasm of quality from step one. How do you get the ball out of your penalty area and into the middle third? Uh, and then five minutes, five or so minutes later, Liverpool had scored with one of the easiest passing triangles ever seen. I think I've been on this podcast once before, and I said, after a Manchester United summary defeat to, to one of the top two, when I said, what you've got here is a matchup between one of the best teams in Europe and a team that simply pretends to be. Just Manchester United are nowhere near in the class of this Liverpool team. And they mm. are playing with the mental and physical lag of a team that is in a relegation battle. So mm. when teams are in a nice run of form, you see that attacker, you know, the first touch sticks more. And, and United are playing with that sort of brain fog that only comes when they are spiritually broken. <laughs> they have conceded more goals than Burnley this season, to be fair to them. So. Mm. If this is peak Liverpool, is this also United's nadir? Uh, Gary Neville, for example, calling it the worst performance Tuesday night that he's seen in his lifetime from Man United. Interesting to see Football 365 quoting the Man United manager on the 4-0 defeat on Merseyside. Some of them won't be here next year. Uh, some of them not worthy of a Man United team. And the thing is, clever reversal here. Those quotes are from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after they got defeated three years ago at Everton. And here we are still, three years and hundreds of millions later. Yes, so I've, I've been on this podcast since basically the World Cup in 2018 and I've done intermittent shouting about Manchester United being bad ever since the 18-19 season. Uh, my apologies to listeners for my. I thought you said eighteen nineteen as in you know your time. You're, you're the Benjamin Feels like it, right, of Carl? the uh, United World. Anyway, uh, so my apologies to listeners who've heard me scream and shout about where's my director of football or why. Right. Wellington could have organised that defence better. To be fair, yeah, or, or why is this manager doing this tactical plan or why can't this team press? Um, but essentially, what you keep seeing is a Manchester United football team squad company and ownership model that constantly tell you they're doing one thing and constantly do something else. Manchester United are 
the friend that says, oh, I wish I could speak another language, but don't open up Duolingo. Or the person who buys a musical instrument at the start of the year as a New Year's resolution and never actually practice this. A really uh, expensive I've, one as well. Yeah, I've, I've said this before. In, two, in December 2018, Manchester United said, Manchester United removed Jose Mourinho and said they were going to hire an interim manager, mm. then go get a permanent manager in the summer, along with the director of football. What they went off and did was they hired Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as an interim manager, made him the permanent manager, and then several years later, they employed from, they essentially promoted from within someone mm. to be a football director. At every single point in time, in the last three years, four years, five years, 10 years, 17 years, if you wish, if you wanted to call the entire Glazer administration, they cut corners. And what you see is a, comp a football club that is supposed to be worth 4 billion with one of the most expensively assembled 11s in world football history mm. be completely unable to press, understand, should they be playing for pressing football? Should, be, should they be playing counter-attacking football? Should they be trying to do possession-based football? And yes, you can mitigate this with injuries. And I don't think, I think Gary Neville was slightly hyperbolic in saying it was the worst performance ever. I think there have been worse performances this season if you mitigate for injuries. When, uh, when do you think, Carl? I, I still think that 4-1 defeat to Watford, if, Watford you considered, yeah. if you consider the, the strength of opposition and mm. the relative fitness of the Manchester United players, I think the Watford game is the nadir. But this wasn't far off. There's no shame losing to Liverpool. There is great shame and deep humiliation to lose in the fashion you did to Liverpool, especially on that third goal, which was essentially Liverpool going, okay, we're bored now. Let's stop playing with our food. Sancho's had a run. Let's go from second gear into third gear. They're mm. just miles off it. There is nothing. Okay. If this football team was right, called Manchester United. Yeah. All right. We wouldn't. Yeah. They wouldn't be leading the yeah. top of this podcast. Let's That's talk about how bad Liverpool. They are. Let's talk about Liverpool, Carl. <laughs> that was the therapy session that Carl needed. Now we can all agree. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you do. The only thing is, right? Like United were like you have a manager for. For twenty six years, it is it is going to end, and it won't be as good. And you do wonder, like Moyes would be in his what his ninth season now. What what would David really? Moyes? Where would he be? If Moyes had stayed it is, at Old it Trafford, it is eight years. I think, believe today is eight years to the day David Moyes was removed from his position as Manchester United manager. Would they be any worse off? Marianne Fellaini might be all right. <laughs> there there are times legitimately when you look at this Manchester United squad and you think Marianne Fellaini could still do a job. At least then they would be able to have a more viable long ball target, which speaks mm. to the the general collective dysfunction and ridiculousness of this incredibly unserious group. Mm. They did get a, a, a big haired midfielder on late on who earned and rave reviews for his his cameo, Hannibal Medjbri. Excitingly, in the anniversary of uh, Luis Suarez's uh, biting Branislav Ivanovic, so kind of. <laughs> Nice little, <laughs> nice little shout out there. He's got that dog in him, shall we say. Let's talk about Liverpool a little bit. We mentioned the fact that they're doing really great things and a key figure in that by popular consent is Thiago. What were his numbers mm. like, Duncan? 113 passes, 96% of them accurate. Um, 108 passes completed, which is more than Gillingham have in seven of their league games this season. So if Stop he ever, it. If he Stop ever wants it. to go down to Kent... Talk about that. 
Uh, you know, twelve percent of Liverpool's Premier League goals they've ever scored against Man United have come this season. It's the first time in Premier League history a team's won nine nil across a season. Uh, Salah's against Man United. Salah's got five goals in a single season against Man United. No one's done that before. Um, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. That hundred and thirteen passes since records began, since you lot began collecting records, it's mm. only happened four times that somebody's completed more than a hundred passes in a Premier League match against Man United. All four of those four instances have come this season, and two of them were on Tuesday, because Virgil van Dijk also broke a century of completed passes, 106. But this is the thing about that game, right? So even even when Man United weren't at their peak in the 80s and Liverpool were dominating, often United would win this fixture, and vice versa. In the 90s, Liverpool could still pull off wins, but that was the the gulf between the teams, and and just the sort of... The lack of care, really, I guess, um, or or kind of interest from United players. That was the baffling thing, really. You know, well, mm. well, Man United Thursday morning confirming, uh, meantime, that Eric Ten Hag will be taking over next season, which is nice. In the meantime, should they just give it Carrick till the end of the season? Do you think he wasn't doing <laughs> too bad? It is. I think it's a fair assessment to say this interim spell for Ev Ragnick has been a disappointment, if not a <laughs> failure. Uh, the 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 intention of bringing Ralph Ragnick, you, know, you, you bring in someone who's famed for for introducing Geiger Press into German football and is renowned for this high pressing system. Is ideally the methods take Manchester United play to just about the sum of their parts. They finish fourth, go into the Champions League, and then they've got the the bedrock for whoever comes in next to go. Do you know how to play pressing football? Great. I don't need to start from st- step one. The worst case scenario was. It'd be a bit like Louis van Gaal season two, where everything's just a bit too weird for the players. Everyone disengages. They finish outside of the Champions League um, and you have to rebuild and start from scratch again. And what we've got is, he's a, <laughs> Ralph Reinick is supposed to be a pragmatic man. We know mm. he's a, we know he's a combustible character and he, he lacks some of the, the human touch, even compared to some of the other coaches he's, he's influenced. So we knew he was always going to be slightly prickly and going into a fractured dressing room. But there just seems to be a complete disconnect between the methods he's trying to bring across to Manchester United, the players taking to those methods. There are also, I think, some of the, the things he said after that Liverpool f- defeat, while brutally honest, mm. and I think fair assessments of where, this, where Manchester United are at the moment, I think serve the current situation no good in you know if you're if you're a Manchester United player and you've just heard that you're six years away from where Liverpool are and you've right. got six games left you're going oh well, what do you want me to do here um perhaps he feels that they're not that bothered either way at least he didn't blame it on the turf like some managers uh, <laughs> yeah. meantime Liverpool continue their chase of the title Man City reclaiming top spot with a 3-0 win over Brighton. It was goalless at half-time just to kind of get the Liverpool fans excited but then Mares, Foden and Bernardo Silva with the goals. City also welcoming Kevin De Bruyne and Ruben Dias back. Uh, Dias after seven weeks out with a hamstring injury and Pep afterwards kind of offering the assessment that if we drop any points between now and the end of the season we'll be congratulating Liverpool as champions. It's That's the, that's the situation. Yeah, I think that suits all parties. Liverpool... I mean, historically in this rivalry, Liverpool tend to be the the underdogs and the ones chasing and City tend to be the ones that 
at the end of the match week tend to be top of the table. Um, so, yeah, more of the same in, in what is, is proving to be a uh, entertaining clash of iron versus iron. Liverpool have still been top of the Premier League for fewer days than Man United and Spurs this season. So, there you go. Mm. All right. This weekend, Man City play Watford, which isn't quite the most one-sided fixture in Premier League history because they drew twice in the 06-07 season. But at the same time, it kind of is. I mean, since that season, they've won 11 out of 11 with the Hornets, scoring 40 goals, conceding five, and that's without including their 6-0 win over Watford in the 2019 FA Cup final. Yeah, if they win this weekend, it will be 15 in a row in all competitions against uh, Watford, which will be a new English football record. Um, and what would the aggregate score be? Something ridiculous, like 30? 4,000 minus <laughs> two or something. <laughs> do, um, do Liverpool really have to win the title this year because next year City will have Erling Haaland? I'm not sure. I think Liverpool need to maximise as many trophy wins as possible until Jurgen Klopp leaves is kind of more mm. The, mm. the situation. I think even a City with... Erling Haaland is beatable with a Liverpool Jurgen Klopp side. And then Guardiola's future as well. I mean, every few couple of years, it's, there's an mm. uncertainty about whether he's going to retire again and, and leave City on a high. So I feel like the, the manager legacies is kind of probably more of an issue for those clubs rather than individual pieces of the puzzle. I mean, mm. the Haaland news also is a bit of a spanner in the works for Harry Kane, who now has to work out what he's going to do uh, if that spot's going to be filled by uh, by Erling Haaland. But yeah, I think it's it's those manager marriages that are the most important thing. Well, uh, word is that City have agreed personal terms with Haaland, although Real Madrid were also after him for his signature. Anyway, returning to this weekend, so City go first on Saturday this time around and against Watford. Uh, Liverpool, meanwhile, on Sunday afternoon, have the derby with Everton. Everton, who actually won at Anfield last season in their first victory there for 22 years, would a win for Frank Lampard's toffees this time be the shockiest shock of the season so far? Yeah. Maybe not the shockiest shock, but it would be a huge shock because Everton are down bad. I mean, they rode their luck in their game against Leicester. Leicester should have put that game to bed. They've been poor all season. They look like they're just going to scrape survival because there's three worst teams below them, but mm. they're poor. So it would be ridiculous if they managed to beat Liverpool. <laughs> They've got the fewest away points. Liverpool got the most home points. And, you know, we mustn't forget that Liverpool defeat to Everton last season came in that really increasingly strange run of six home defeats in a row after they'd been unbeaten at home for, for years. And then since that run of six, they've now just reverted to that, you know, imperious home form. It's very, very odd. But yeah, as Flo said, I think it's it's almost Im not impossible. It isn't impossible, but it, it feels that if Liverpool play even to 60% of what they did against United or 40% of what they did against City last weekend, then they should mm. win this one. OK. Everton are winless away from home in the league since August. Under Frank Lampard, they've been defeated in all six of their road trips. They did get a point, as Flo mentioned, Wednesday at home to Leicester. Although Leicester, 
think may have their minds elsewhere, given that Rogers made the classic seven changes to starting lineup for this one. Harvey Barnes gave the Foxes a half-time lead. Richarlison with a kind of remarkable 92nd minute equaliser, frenetic end to that that game. Anyway, all right, lots more Premier League news and views to come. And next up, a word on Fulham. Keep listening for Charlie Eccleshare versus Julien Laurent in the Inter-Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And we apologise for any bad language you may hear. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hiya, Manchester Holidays. Uh, yes, I'd like to book a holiday, please. Lovely. Anywhere in mind? No, I just need to get away from it all. For two weeks. Do you have anything permanent? The season can't end quickly enough for Manchester United and Ralph Ranick. And whilst we can't send you on that dream holiday, we can provide the best offers. If one leg of your fourfold bet builder lets you down on a football game, get a free bet. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet by the bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. Seven day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. We will be. Here's Harry Wilson carrying it into the penalty area. It's a Mitrovic! Yes! Come on! Come on, Fulham! All right, exciting news midweek as Liverpool's nemesis Fulham returned to the Premier League. Courtesy of victory over Preston North End. Flo, you've spent, I think, a fair amount of time watching the Cottagers this season. This is going to be their, what, third promotion in five years. Is next season going to be any different for them in the Premier League to the previous two? Potentially. I'm not being a, I'm not being a salty QPR fan, but I have to caveat uh, the praise on, on Fulham with saying that over one third of the entire money spent in the Championship has been by Fulham and Bournemouth. Uh, so they are their budgets are head and shoulders above the rest of the league and Fulham. If Mitrovic claims all of his bonuses, he's set to get about 100, 100 grand a week, which wow. for the second penny, tier though. of English football is unbelievable. Um, but Where did you get that stat from, Flo? Uh, I think my brother messaged me it, so okay. I'll have to check <laughs> his maths. But I think the combined... Uh, 11s of Fulham and Bournemouth is something like 400 million or something ridiculous. Um, I mean, they they shipped 13 million, I think it was on Harry Wilson. So 13 million on a on a, a second tier signing is ridiculous. But all in all, having watched Marco Silva's Fulham and from the general feeling I get from the Fulham fans, they do think that this time might be a little bit different. Um, Marco Silva certainly thinks that Mitrovic is finally going to prove himself in the Premier League. He thinks that he has levelled up. Uh, I mean, his his scoring record is ridiculous. He was on 20 goals by like November or something. So he's got 40 in 40 this season, but last season in the Premier League, three. What, three. what would be the but difference? But he did get 11 in the previous Premier League campaign he played for Fulham, which I oh. think people sometimes forget. I think that's better. I'm not falling for it again. More, more importantly, he needs three goals to equal... Um, Fulham's record in a season which is by Frank Bonzo Newton 
Um, not a man that gets much mention on podcasts, but there we go. Who was Frank Bonzo Newton? Just some um, Fulham player from 90 years ago. So, um, <laughs> okay. If you're listening, Frank, unlucky. I also think when when you saw Fulham come up with Parker, I mean, Silver and Parker are very different managers. I think the Parker ball that, that Bournemouth are, are playing with and, and Fulham fans really got miserable with in that season. It, it, if Silver's the way Silver's playing is is a lot different. It's a lot more exciting. They're a lot more um, kind of ruthless and energetic going forward. But they've got a lot of work to do in the summer because their defensive is still pretty championship. Mm. And uh, you know Watford similarly have good attacking players, but if you've got a very very championship level defence, you've got no chance in the Premier League. So they will have to do a little bit of additional spending in the summer, having already spent quite a lot. But they also know, having spent what 100 million before and it backfiring in the Premier League, they need to be careful. Um, mm. So I think it'll be an interesting summer. But I think the fans feel quite confident this time around. I think when they got up through the playoffs and surprised and shocked everyone by beating Brentford, I think that because it was such a shock and surprise and QPR being that same position, you're not ready for it. And then you do silly things in order to try and keep up the pace. Whereas I think even though they do have a ridiculous squad, to give them their credit, it is a squad that actually could compete quite well in the Premier League. So, yeah, I think it's better than previous seasons. Okay. They come up, Norwich probably going down. When was the last time they were up together? The kind of yin and yang, the the balance of the... Have they ever been seen in the same room together, Fulham and Norwich? I wonder. <laughs> it's not been not a last... for a while. I th- I 13, 14. It, was, it would have been early... 13, yeah, it would have been the Suarez era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I think that Norwich should unpeel their Premier League badges ceremoniously and then walk to Craven Cottage and hand them to Fulham. <laughs> Quite a nice moment. That would be nice. Excellent. All right, let's return to the Premier League, like Fulham, indeed, and discuss uh, the top four race, which now sees Spurs and Arsenal level on 57 points. Spurs uh, with a better goal difference, plus eight better. Man United are three points behind, having played a game more. Arsenal... Travel to Spurs on the 12th of May, two rounds before the end of the season. But they face United at the Emirates this weekend. Let's talk about what Arsenal did on Wednesday at Stamford Bridge. The Gunners winning 4-2 against the European champions Chelsea, ending their three-match losing streak, which had seen them beaten by Brighton Saints. Who was the other team in that three-match? Palace. Palace, of course. So where did this come from? Ambition when attacking on transition. So during Arsenal's bad run, their chance creation was quite poor uh, and their their finishing ability was down bad, uh, to borrow a flow term. Um, whereas, whereas here, I think Arsenal just went for it. And most things that could go right went right for them. There, there was some superb finishing from Eddie Nketiah, who is... I'm watching Eddie Nketiah very much from a Ghanaian national team perspective. Uh, and I've I've decided he's going to be the solution and Ghana is finally going to avenge the 2010 defeat to uh, Uruguay. Uh, and I was I was really impressed by how well, uh, well, I'll say how well, how pragmatic Arsenal were defending in the wide areas. So I think one big problem for Arsenal in their recent streak was the profiles of their, their backup fullbacks are dramatically different from, from their first choice ones. I think Cedric Suarez is... 
a fallback of ambiguous and varying technical ability and decision making. That's polite. <laughs> <laughs> but his get to Dubai line and cross the ball as hard as possible technique worked well against Chelsea in this one game. It was not the kind of game you'd expect for Chelsea at home. Big gaps in the crowd while well, Chelsea's ownership transfer. Saga rumbles on. Big big gaps in defence, I think, for, for both sides. It was crazily open. Uh, both goalkeepers failing to make a single save. All six efforts on target went in. Uh, Thomas Tuchel's complaints about the pitch as being mm. the, the prime reason for what was Chelsea's third home defeat in a row. First time that's happened in, I think, 28 years. What, what, was, the, what was the basis for that? What... I thought, I thought what, it was just trolling. I thought it was a gag. Yeah. And not, I'm pretty sure he didn't mean it sincerely. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you guys remember that famous game Chelsea played I think, just at the start. Yeah, the Charlton game where they're basically playing on sand. And Alan mm. Kirby said afterwards, this is an absolute disgrace. And it was just before the Abramovich era kicked off. And obviously they, you know, the pitch had a transformation and the rest is history. But I do, I think it was a gag and I don't think he sincerely meant it. I think he's almost taking the piss out of his own player slash protecting his own player at the same time. But there's mm. no way the pitch is responsible for that. 99 problems, but the pitch ain't one, says, <laughs> says, says totally's flow. Hmm. That Charlton pitch thing was amazing because you're not allowed to have a pitch made of sand in the Premier no. League. It's one of the, no. one of the main rules. And right. Chelsea were just like, no, they, it was grass. <laughs> it wasn't, it was just It was sand. a beach. It was a beach. And it was what... Probably like March, April time, so just as we come to the end of the season and they were clinging on to make it before the new money came in. But yeah, I do think it was a gag. But in terms of Arsenal's performance and Chelsea's Chelsea performance, I mean, it was battle of the bad defences. A lot mm. of uh, squad players that were thrown into uh, a quite an important game on both sides. I think Chelsea are getting tired I and mean, speaking about Liverpool peaking. I think that FA Cup semi-final win took a lot out of Chelsea. Malang Sarr, it's, he looks to be in, in real difficulty. He had an absolute stinker. Uh, and a lot of my Chelsea mates were saying, can't believe Trevor Ch Chalaver's not getting a, a start and, and Malangstar starting ahead of him. Um, Tavares for Arsenal looks like a three-year-old playing football. I think Raheem Sterling's son could do a better job hmm. uh, in the Arsenal starting lineup than Tavares. Ow. He's just he's just so chaotic and just the sort of 35, 40-yard shots that he was taking mm. for no reason. He had one shot where he, he didn't look at the goal. He actually, the shot went where he looked, but it was at someone in the crowd. So maybe it was on. <laughs> he's just, uh, I don't know where, what he, how or what he's doing, but it's quite entertaining to watch if you're not an Arsenal fan. But right. um, a great glow up for Eddie and Ketia as well. And Arsenal were ruthless when they needed to be. And we haven't seen a ruthless Arsenal enough this season, enough at all in the last few years. And I think this could be a big moment for them when, they don't have their best players at their disposal, but they can win mm. ugly. And that's important for a team that wants to be playing in Europe. Shout out as well to Timo Werner, who'd been having goal problems, to you know, echo Jay-Z again. But uh, here <laughs> with his fourth in four games, he's back. Extraordinary. He's level with his XG this season, which <laughs> if you know Timo Werner's backstory is a whole new paradigm. Mm. But um, it was the first time Chelsea had... Um, letting four or more goals in back-to-back -back league games at Stamford Bridge for the first time since 1989-90, which at the end of a game was a man who may have supported Chelsea back then arguing with Azpilicueta after the final whistle. 
um, obviously criticising his performance, and then did the most incredible thing that football fans do when a player actually interacts and completely back down and go, yeah, no, it's fine. No, sorry, I'm really sorry. Really, you know, you're fine. Yep, keep going. Keep going, Dave, or whatever he calls them. Daniel Story with another interesting uh, Chelsea stat. You might think uh, they've only taken three more league points at home this season than Everton. That is baffling. Mm. That is interesting. Frankie Lamps, Everton. Well, Arsenal will get the chance to prove that this isn't just another false dawn when they take on Man United a Saturday lunchtime at the Emirates. Carl, you're going to be there. If you had to write your match report ahead of time, what would be in it? The word why with loads of whys and loads of question marks. Just why? <laughs> uh, and also just attack Cedric Suarez. Attack Cedric Suarez. Get to the back post. Attack the back post. Uh, I had a little conversation with, with producer Charlie prior to the Chelsea game uh, mm. about my, my general nervousness around the Saturday game. Uh, and like Arsenal fans often want to do, he tried handing the advantage to someone else. said, oh, I think you'll win. Uh, and I said, absolutely come off it. I'm not hand- having this reverse jinx. I think this top four <laughs> race, not just with Arsenal and Manchester United, but also with Tottenham Hotspur, no one wants to be regarded as the favourite or in the driver's seat because it's, uh, even the word race feels a disservice to the, the general haphazardness and slapdash nature of these three. It's a wacky, it's a wacky races race with lots mm. of banana yes. skins. Lots of or Mario Kart. It's not a. It's not a straightforward <laughs> one. It's it's not it's not a it's not a race born out of competence, but essentially, can we just make the fewest amount of mistakes between now and May twenty second? Mm. All right. Well, I'm not sure because it's been quite entertaining the number of mistakes committed <laughs> thus far. The Gunners have actually lost their last two home games, uh, while United have only picked up two victories in their last nine in all competitions. Hmm. Maybe the one fly in the ointment for Arsenal is is Aaron Ramsdale a little bit. He looked a little bit shaky at various points last night and has done recently. And I think the kind of reputation boost he got in the autumn and how well he was playing is sort of fading a little bit. So, you know, that m- might be a uh, uh, you know an opportunity for United to focus on. Do you think that's possibly because he's playing now in front of a different back four than the one he had during his or, or heyday? behind or? it. In front of it would certainly be an issue. Oh, sorry, my mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be bad, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I do think some of his decision-making is possibly not as, as sharp as it was earlier in the season. Mm. Flo, which one's the favourite here, Man United or Arsenal? Let's settle this. Arsenal, I'd say, but maybe... We've asked time and time again, after a poor performance and a, a bad result, will the United players go out and prove something? And nine times out of ten, the answer is no. So mm. that's why I will put an Arsenal win at the Emirates. Spurs, meanwhile, who are level right now with Arsenal, will be visiting Brentford, who've got a cracking record in derbies this uh, season. They've already beaten Chelsea and West Ham. This will also feature if he selected Christian Eriksen up against his old club and future club, according to a lot of um, rumours right now. Who's scored more Premier League goals this season, Ivan Tony or Harry Kane? Question. I'm going to say Ivan Tony. It's the same number. Ooh. They've each oh, got 12. Trick question. Yeah. <laughs> Neither. All right. Take the penalties out. Take the penalties out, then we can talk. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's fair. Well, Son doesn't take penalties very often. 
and he's on course to be Spurs top scorer, the first Spurs top scorer who isn't Harry Kane since Emmanuel Adebayor back in 2013-14. Wow. Blimey. That's Barclays heritage right there, baby. Is <laughs> is this game going to see Spurs lose ground in the top four race? I honestly have no idea with this Tottenham Hotspur team. <laughs> and again, this speaks to the, the, just the general co-opness mess of, of the top four race where... Uh, Every time someone builds up ahead of steam, they just trip over their shoelaces and fall flat on their face. The injury to Matt Doherty, it feels bizarre to even say such a thing, but the injury to Matt Doherty really has tripped up what looked to be a very competent and more uh, resilient Tottenham Hotspur team in, in the run into this to the end of the season. However, Tottenham Hotspur's front three of Kudovesky, Kane and Son, when that clicks, that's enough to beat most teams in the Premier League and should be enough to beat a team of Brentford's quality but also Thomas Frank is a smart man and mm. probably knows there's no Doherty. So there's there's an available space to occupy it. And Christian Eriksen probably has some very strong thoughts on how to break up that Kane-Son partnership as well. So uh, let's call this a highly entertaining, tightly called score draw and right. be done with it. All right. Well, let's have a look at the weekend's fixtures. Arsenal Man United is Saturday lunchtime at three o'clock Midlands Derby between Leicester and Aston Villa. Then you've got Man City-Watford. Norwich take on Newcastle. Talk about Newcastle in a second. Brentford Spurs. And then on Sunday, Burnley Wolves, Brighton Saints, which is not a derby, apparently. Chelsea West Ham, which is... Ooh, Chelsea West Ham. And then at 4.30, that Merseyside derby. On Monday, it's Palace Leeds. Hmm. Newcastle. Lots of love for Miguel Almiron's goal. In the one 0 win over Crystal Palace on Wednesday, he went. He did go full. He did go full shirt off into the crowd, heads gone vibes, which I think is important for him because I think Almiron is is one of a, a, quite a few player Newcastle players who the club spent money on. There's been expectation, probably not had the best managers there to utilise them, uh, and it's been frustrating. I think for them because they have big price tags and they're not at a club where they can kind of express themselves. But I think there's a lot of potential in players like him. And I think the sparks where you get to see that, like last night, I think is really important for him and the fans. And they're an unbelievable win. I mean, six six Premier League wins in a row is unthinkable for At home, them yeah. six months ago. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's a positive sign for players like him under Eddie Howe that they might be able to express themselves a little bit more and... I think Carl already mentioned, but Alan So Maximum's uh, incredible little dance moves. I mean, he's such a character, and I know that the fans unveiled a little bit, bit of artwork for him as well at St. Joe's Park. So I think it's important to let characters and players like that express themselves, and maybe that's a good thing and positive thing about the new Newcastle era is before the club kind of bought players as a to appease fans in a way without really an idea of how they were actually going to use the players that they Mike Ashley was spending money on whereas it seems like Eddie Howe does have a better understanding and a better grasp of that also Newcastle are 14 points behind Manchester United with 15 left to play for just putting it out there also this weekend Flo we've got the Women's Champions League semi-finals Crikey. Sunday, Leon taking on Paris Saint-Germain. Friday evening, though, if you'd like to take a look at possibly the best team in world football, Barcelona, they're going to be up against Wolfsburg. Where can we watch this? 
So you can watch it for free on DAZN's YouTube channel. Um, and the coverage is very good. Coverage is in multiple languages as well. And then they put up a highlights package. I think it's frustrating that the gate, the semifinals are on the weekend, actually. Obviously, we've, mm. we've, we've seen that for a while now. I think I think it's a bit more special when they're midweek and there's so much of the football as well going on on the weekend. I think they get lost a little bit. But the Barcelona game is going to be at another sold-out new Camp, which is very exciting. Um, and Will they all be Wolfsburg fans again? <laughs> Potentially. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. And... Uh, PSG, Leon, as well as the other ones. So I think, yeah, some good semi-finals, some tasty semi-finals. Right, excellent. Uh, meantime, uh, also on the women's football front, flow a lot of talk about the venues for this summer's uh, Euro 2022. Iceland, Serbia, Gunnarsdott are criticising uh, the venue choices, which do seem to the untutored eye on the small side. Yeah, I think it's a mix. I mean, the, the venues have been known for a while, but obviously as we get close to the tournament, people are sort of noticing and picking up on it for the first time. I think for me, it's not really the size of the venues. It's more the location of the venues. I think when we've looked at other major women's football tournaments before in the past, they are in cities and stadiums that are either well-known historic or tourist attractions in their own right. Mm. No disrespect to the good people of Milton Keynes, but I don't think Milton Keynes is... A, a great stadium uh, for uh, for an international football tournament and a, a massively exciting place to visit, unless you're a big fan of roundabouts. Well, so. I grew up near there and I can confirm that, although Cliff Richard's Wired for Sound video was filmed in the shop. Was that filmed there? Oh, so maybe people will go to the shopping centre to take a look. But I do think it's really important when you look at the Women's World Cup in France, you know, all of those, all those cities are attractive tourist places in their own right, regardless if you're going for the football. And I think that's probably what's more frustrating for me. I think it's more important to pick stadiums that you're going to fill more mm. than anything. And the CFA in Manchester, Manchester's a very exciting city. And the CFA that's uh, that's staging a lot of group matches, including Iceland, I think they've sold out all their games. And I think they'll probably have maybe like 6,000 or so, which but I think is important. The City Academy Stadium, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's the one next to the Etihad. Right. It's where City women play. And I think that's more mm -hmm. important for me than having... Milton Keynes Stadium with 10,000 right. people in it looking completely empty. I think it's better to have atmosphere in a smaller ground. Obviously, other players will will not agree with that and they would like to see bigger crowds. But I think if I was a player, I'd want a good atmosphere and good energy rather than just a completely empty stadium because some group games have sold out, all of England games have sold out. But obviously, it's going to be harder in front of a, a home a home crowd to sell out some of the other group stages. It's just the reality, I think, of the situation. Sure, sure. No, it's just it, it, when, when you're talking about, for example, that the new camp sold out again, ninety thousand crowd, and that, and I'm not sure what the City Academy Stadium's capacity is, but I think is it sort of seven thousand or so. It's about, I think, six thousand, but then they can make it bigger if bigger, they had standing. Right. But for the UEFA mm -hmm. rules, I don't think they're allowed to have standing. So I think oh. it's going to be something like six, seven thousand, but they could be more if they were allowed standing, but they won't be. It's kind of, I can't remember the exact of it. But yeah, I think okay. it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I've spoken to people who still don't even know that there's a Euros happening this summer and they work in football. So I, I think there's still a lot of work Seriously? to be done to build. Yeah, like football journalists who cover the game regularly, I spoke to someone the other day who said they had to Google 
what euros I was talking about because they thought it, they were confused as to what it was another men's euros and they were like obviously not and then found it was women's euros so I think there's still a massive bit of awareness that needs to happen between now and 6th of July I think people will get wrapped up in it at the time because they always do when there's a major tournament men's or women's you know people get mm. on the bandwagon and follow the home team but I think beyond that I think they need to build awareness to make sure that not just the England games and not just the games and maybe smaller venues are sold out and people are going to New York Stadium and Rotherham and Milton Keynes Stadium and filling those those stadiums and watching the best players in Europe play because I think that is for me the biggest issue and, and building excitement and an awareness and fan parks and all those things that you expect at major tournaments. Having that, I think, is really important. We, let's not forget as well that Euro 96... Um, other than the England games and Scotland games, not many of those sold out either. There were a lot of empty seats at, at various matches. So mm. it's, a, it's a long-standing issue with tournaments hosted in this country, I'd say. Mm. Flo, you're having a busy morning. You've already done a podcast with Dan Bardell and you're off to do something else now. So many thanks for being with us today. Carl, you're also disappearing. Where are you off to? Uh, the well of lamentation. Manchester United are bad. <laughs> looking forward to reading about that in the athletic duncan stay with us because next up do you know what it is is that the quiz siren i can hear absolutely absolutely a sensitive topic for you after your defeat in the first semi-final to daniel's story got a lot of support from the community so that was good huge one that was that was spain germany 2010 for me hmm but we'll see who triumphs uh, in the other semi to face Daniel next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's good news for Watford fans as they get ready to appoint their fourth manager of the season. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. All right, that sharp tang in the air is the heady smell that only a top-level all-or-nothing intellectual duel and vapour rub can provide it is the sharp end of the intertotally cup three contenders are left one daniel story is already in the final today we're going to discover who he'll be facing up first he's from the athletic 
He is the Football Clichés 2021 quiz champion, so he's hoping for more questions on David Unsworth and Paul Dempsey. He is Charlie Eccleshare. Yeah, looking to... What's the boxing phrase? Unite the belts? Unify. Unify the belts. Charlie Eccleshare. The, the Football Clichés quiz. Crikey. That's pedigree. How have you been finding the totally the Intertotally Cup? Very good standard in that it's difficult uh, but gettable. I was praising the quiz master actually on his questions only the other day in an attempt to butter him up. So hopefully that worked. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. You've already seen off James Horncastle and then Dominic Fifield to reach this semi final. Let's meet the man you'll be facing. If you really wanna fire till you're five and you're back against the wall And a bunch of niggas need you to go away Still going bad on them anyway Saw you last night but did it all day And his opponent He's from far too many media outlets to mention He is Paris born and bred And he invented the phrase Kareem the Dream He is Julien Laurent Jules Hello at last. <laughs> I'm sorry hmm. I was late this morning. I have so. to say, a listener, that uh, there was a little bit of mind games before this semi-final. Charlie's been mm. standing out on the pitch. <laughs> getting cold. Speaking, getting cold while Jules chuckled away in his warm dressing room. Yeah, yep. so I need a cup of tea, you know, before, uh, before the <laughs> semi-final. So. All right. Well, everyone's got their preparations. What, what, what was your preparation, Charlie, for today? Uh, some porridge. Right. Give some... You just give me that that energy. Yeah, okay. And Jules, you've gone with tea. It's a formula that's taken you past Matt Davis-Adams and then last year's runner-up, Benji Laniado, yes. in the semi-final. I noticed, in fact, that the first edition of the tournament, you were quarter-finalist, then the following year, semi-finalist. Oh, good. With, with third in the hastily convened third-fourth playoff. Can you be a finalist in 2022? I have to say I've been very impressed by uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory so far. I mean, uh, for me, <laughs> he has to be the favourite. You know, it would be, I think it would be a disappointment for him and his team if he doesn't make it to the final, considering he's already won many quizzes before. You know, his knowledge is incredible. And I'm just a guy from Paris, you know, so. <laughs> the mind game. What's French for mind game, Jules? <laughs> I don't know. We don't have those kind of things in France. It's pure English. Oh, of course, in yeah. Games. You know, we, right, we yeah. play fair and square. <laughs> All right. Well, Jules, as you're probably aware, whoever goes through to the final today will also pick up £10, which Paddy Power will place on the bet of their choice with the proceeds going to the charity of their choice. What will your bet and charity be? So my charity is Dementia UK. Uh, and the bet is that Borussia Dortmund will win that Classica on Saturday against Bayern Munich. Mm, very nice. Okay, Charlie, how about you? So I'm doing this for Alzheimer's Society, and my bet is Christian Eriksen will score for Brentford against Tottenham on Saturday, but Tottenham will win the game. Very good. So, everything's set. Let's get the questions going. First up, it's the guy from Paris. Jules, question one. You're about to hear commentary of a famous goal with the scorer's name blanked out. Can you name the scorer and the game? Look at that from Kaka. And what a pass too. And what a goal that is. What a goal that is. Again, from the sublime pass by Kaka. That is Inzaghi in the Champions League final against Liverpool 07. 
in Athens. It's Hernan Crespo in the one before 2005 Istanbul. Yeah. Okay, question two, Jules. Plenty of time. Question two. For which Spanish team, other than Barcelona, did Diego Maradona play? Sevilla. Correct. Question three. Who am I? I left my home country and signed for Rangers, aged just 19, and went on to win the Champions League twice and the World Cup. I have managed Milan, Napoli and Fiorentina. Rino Gattuso. Is correct. Is correct. Question four. Which of the following current La Liga managers has not managed Atletico Madrid? Javier Aguirre, Quique Sanchez Flores, Unai Emery. Which of them has not managed Atletico Madrid? Unai Emery. It's correct. Surprisingly. Question five. Three Italy players missed penalties in the 1994 World Cup final shootout. Of course, Roberto Baggio was one. But can you name either of the other two? Uh, I would say... Nicola Berti? Uh, no. You could have had Franco Baresi. Baresi? Baresi, yes. And Daniele Massaro. Mm. No, I didn't have them. But no one talks about them. No. All right, Jules, question six. At which club was Jose Mourinho's first managerial job? Rio Ave. Benfica. He had that brief spell at Benfica. Okay, question seven. Which footballer told his manager, you bought a Ferrari, but you drive it like a Fiat? Oh, Ibra. It is Ibra. Speaking to? Pep Guardiola. Correctamundo, which gives you a score, Jules, of four out of seven. All right, how'd you feel? Yeah, it's okay. It was, it was tough. It was tough. I really thought the first one, um, I was right. I remember a pretty special caca pass for Inzaghi, I think, in that final. Mm. Maybe more than the Crespo one, the caca for Crespo in the O5 one. <laughs> really? Because that's, that's quite a legendary. legendary. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that isn't there a special caca pass for... Yeah, but that one sounds like an air raid, Saren. Whereas this one was a car, an, an old jalopy honking horn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. was, there was. Yeah, Mourinho, no, and then the 94 final, definitely no, so... Okay. All right, then. Four out of seven is the score to match or beat for Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie, here comes question one. Question one. You're about to hear the commentary of a famous goal. With the scorer's name blanked out, can you name the scorer and the game? Here is Marcelo. Three in the box waiting for the cross, and it was... What about, what about giving him one from last season's even final, maybe, no? Come on! Jules? Unreal. Is is that Gareth Bale in the Champions League final against Liverpool of 2018? It is. Madrid? It is, Charlie. It is. From from four from years two weeks ago, ago? Two Not weeks ago. Not last season, four two years. Ago. Four years two ago, ago now. Ago. Three weeks ago. <laughs> 
This is why Jules was labelled the Atletico Madrid. The Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. <laughs> I deny the, the totally all these quiz. allegations. Sorry, sorry, keep going. Yep. Question two. For which Dutch team, other than Ajax, did Johan Cruyff play? Uh, I don't know. Go ahead, Eagles. He's incorrect. Feyenoord. Yes, Jules. <sighs> Charlie's dropped his first question. Jules needs to drop first, two Is that the first one questions? he ever had in this tournament so far, I believe? Is that right? He, he had 100%. Jules, going to have to stop you. Going to have to ask time. you to be quiet. Sorry. Going to have to ask the producer Charlie just to <laughs> Sorry, fade you I, out. I was just the integrity of the competition is really on the line here. Okay, question three. Who am I? I arrived in England as part of a very unusual transfer before moving to another Premier League club with whom I lost the Champions League final. I lost the 2014 World Cup final but had great success at a Spanish club. Javier Mascherano. Damn, how'd you get that? Correct, Charlie. Question four. Which former Premier League striker's trademark celebration was to pull a Zorro mask from his sock and put it on? Say that again, please. Which former Premier League striker's trademark celebration was pulling a Zorro mask from his sock and putting it on? Facundo Sava. It's correct, Charlie. Wow. wow. I mean, just for this one, you deserve to win. <sighs> Question five. Charlie, you're on three out of four now. You need one more correct answer and the next three questions to tie Jules. Question five. Who scored the clinching penalty for Italy in the 2006 World Cup final penalty shootout? Grosso. Is correct and now you're level. This for a place in the final. Question six. Which current Premier League manager played with David Beckham at club level? Of course. <laughs> That's hard. This, this, uh, this. Played with him at club level. Mm hmm. Many thoughts, Charlie? Uh, I have one, but I don't know if I'm. Slightly out if I'm overthinking it a little bit. I'm just wondering whether Jesse Marsh, I, I have no idea about him as a player, but the fact he's American, I'm just wondering if he played with Bex when Bex went over there. Um... Gonna have to press you for an answer. Now we've got all the time in the world. <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll go with Jesse Marsh. That's some extraordinarily fine thinking but it's unfortunately incorrect <sighs> the answer Jules do you really know the answer Absolutely or? not no I didn't even think <laughs> about it it's not my question is it the answer is David Moyes David Beckham began his career on loan at Preston that's and that's where it happened there's a statue I think of it all right which means Charlie we're down mm. to this last shot at going straight through to the final <laughs> question seven <laughs> Who was the first Englishman to win the Champions League with two different teams?
first Englishman to win the Champions League, but with two different teams. Owen Hargreaves? Is absolutely correct. Charlie Ecrochet, you are in the Inter-Totally Cup final. Jules, lovely sporting. Well done. Very good. Excellent. There. I have to say, even with all my mind games from Paris <laughs> and the suburbs, you, could not You know, it. the mind games, the Beckham question, when you mm. started on it, I thought, is that a PSG? Is it PSG related? <laughs> you, uh, the, uh, who, who could that be? And then... Yeah. Uh, well done, so. my friend. You did extremely well. His right. questions were tougher than mine as well. Do you think? Oh, uh, yeah. The Fanguido Sava. I don't, I don't didn't that was even know the guy. Yeah, even the Javier Mascherano. I mean, once you say the answer, it makes sense. Uh, it was but Tevez, when I was reading through the question, it was Tevez of Mascherano, really, when you say controversial. Uh, okay. Or something. All right. But, but yeah. the Sava and the David Moyes one, and mm. even Hargreaves, I don't think many people would have found that stuff. So. No, he didn't get David Moyes, of course, but yes, Hargreaves, <laughs> he certainly nailed, which means he goes through to the final. Jules, we'll be seeing you in the third, fourth playoff. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you against Duncan Alexander. Oh, yeah, my old friends. Wounded beast right now. Nursing himself with his numbers. Yeah. But uh, yes, we'll have, we'll have news on the, on the dates uh, for that. And of course, the big showdown for the title, Charlie against Daniel. Any message for Daniel ahead of that clash, Charlie? Be scared. Oh, look, yeah. I'll let others do the talking for me. That's, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, Daniel is a formidable opponent, so I'm just looking forward to it. Looking forward to the opportunity. You try telling Charlie Eccleshare it's only the Intertotally Cup. He is through to the final. And if you agree with Charlie that Christian Eriksen will score against his old club on Saturday, but Tottenham will still win, it's priced at 9-1 at paddypower.com or on the Paddy Power app. Odds are accurate at the time of recording, it's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Wasn't that thrilling? Duncan, I have to say, I was watching you and you got on Charlie's questions. What did you get on Charlie's questions? Four on Charlie's, but six on Jules's. So six on Jules's? <clears throat> it's how the questions crumble, isn't it? It is. the competitors, rather. Well, in, indeed, but that's interesting because, of course, you and Jules will be going tete-a-tete -tete in that third-fourth playoff, the prestigious third-fourth playoff, the contractual obligation quiz round. Yeah, look forward to it very much. Often, I was going to say often the better game, but let's be honest, it, it never is, is it? unless it's Peter Shilton running around his penalty box being chased by Toto Scalacci. But, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Excellent, as am I. Uh, you, you too, listener. Excellent. Uh, all right. Well, that wraps it up, though, for this edition of the Totally Football Show. So thanks to all who participated. Duncan, the lot who were on earlier, Bruce Charlie, you, listener. It's time to say to you, have a great weekend. We're at the end of another week. Can't believe it. Uh, and we'll be back on Monday with thoughts on all the stuff that happens. So, yeah, have a great one. And we'll speak to you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.